This week, we revisit a past episode that's a favorite of ours. So please sit back and enjoy this special best of presentation of Living the Call. We all, as humans, share that commonality that we're wanting somebody to look for us and care for us and love us, and that's God. And, you know, where I was searching in all these places, ultimately I found it in Jesus, that eternal happiness is actually in Christ because He's always looking for us. You know, He's thirsting for us. Christine Lacayo, welcome yes, to the show. Yes, Diakono, thank you so much for having me. You like how I said that with the proper pronunciation? <laughs> I love how you said that, yes. <laughs> I like how you have somewhere, maybe it's on your socials or on your site, it says Chris, like C-H-R-I-Z. <laughs> I love how you get it too, because <laughs> you, you're Hispanic. You, well, you have to explain that, I'm sure, right? Because you spell it like Christine. I do, yes. And then my nickname is Chris with a Z because, so my family calls me Chris. And then um, growing up in Atlanta, my American friends called me um, Crease, and they put a Z to it. So I just kind of stuck. <laughs> nice. The yeah. other one that the other one that could work too is like the word crease, you know, to fold and press, yes. like C R E A S E. Um, That's true. Yeah, but the for those who crease. who don't know, obviously uh, Christine is a. Is that Anglicization or like a French version of of Christina? Well, um, I think it's a French version because yeah. my middle name is Marie and it's that's a Marie. very French name, Christine Marie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in Spanish, you would say yeah, Christine, Christine, if you were going to say it that way, Christine, right? Because Exacto. of that. Yeah. So that's why I say Chris. But um, I love it. Yeah, people call me Crazy Chris, Chris, like uh, Christina, like all different kind of names. <laughs> yeah. Well, Happy New Year. You get up to anything fun? Happy New Year to you too. Um, yes, we've been, well, on New Year's Eve, you mean, or just this New Year? I don't know, just in general, since last we spoke. So I'm getting ready to move. So I'm kind of packing up my my place and figuring out what's next in, in line for me. Um, well, that's right. We talked about a bunch of, we're, you're in Atlanta yes. now? I'm in Atlanta and I grew okay. up here. So I have family yeah. here, my sister and my sisters and both my parents live here. And I've been here, so I grew up here, um, but then I left for about seven years and just was in various different places and then moved back two years ago. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like every two years, there's something that I start getting this itch that I need to go somewhere else. I'm very yeah. nomadic and I'm just feeling that call to, to go explore another, another spot. Would you consider yourself kind of a digital nomad or not technically? Um, I would like to be, but I haven't. So I am working from home um, and working in Atlanta, but you know, now that I have a business and start ramping that up, it would be cool to sort of explore the world and be more nomadic while I'm still working. Mm. But I haven't done that in the past. It's something new to me this year. I'm watching this crazy show on Netflix called Win the Wilderness. Have you heard of the show? I haven't. No. So it's kind of, it's interesting in, in, uh, it's probably produced by a British company because the, the, the premise of the show is that six couples are competing essentially against one another to be the heirs of an Alaskan wilderness property in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Oh, wow. But each one of these couples, for some reason, is British, even though they don't ever explain that. So my guess is that probably the show was made for a British audience, but now with Netflix, like, you know, they they just try to get as much value from their content. So they might produce it in you know, in, in the UK, but then distribute it everywhere. It's uh, probably is running in Australia and other places. But right. so the couples are all British. So there's this kind of cool, 
you know, uh, you know, kind of Anglophone meets American wilderness dynamic. That's kind of interesting. Um, mm. But, you know, a, a number of these couples, half of them are basically young people. And I'm talking about a remote property that these folks are competing with, right? It was wow. built by hand 35 years ago by this couple. This guy walked out into the wilderness 57 miles and oh literally gosh. took him 30 years to build the house. It's crazy. And they've wow. gotten older. And they now want to give the property to a couple to kind of carry on their legacy. And the reason I bring up the digital nomad stuff is because half the couples are young and the and mm. what they do for income is basically, you know, like digital stuff, right? So they right. and to think about like we think of digital nomad and it's like I moved from LA to Atlanta or to Chicago, but the reality of it is is you can kind of pull pull it off if you have internet sort of anywhere. Right. Right. Anywhere you are. Exactly. Yeah, that's on the rise now, especially after COVID, too. Everybody's kind of wanting, wanting to have a little bit more flexibility from where they're working, working from home, and then getting to see different places and countries. I feel like the balance is really figuring out how you can also appreciate where you are while still working, you know, not feeling like you're always glued to the computer um, sure. and still explore wherever this new place you are. That's how cool. far, how far would, you, would you take your nom nom nomadic Nomadism, I don't know, nomadicism, <laughs> um, because like there's also uh, a bunch of uh, Instagram and YouTube pages dedicated to van life, you know, yeah. which is basically like just drive and go anywhere. Yeah. Like, how, how far would you or what have you envisioned? Okay, so I love that you asked that because I have envisioned that. Um, and I, I do kind of want to get a little trailer camper and go out west. I don't really know the western U.S. very well. And um, I really want to visit certain projects out there. And I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know. See myself I'm in, on the East Coast. And so I'm envisioning like going out there and exploring that. But when I like start to piece it together in my head, I don't think I would want to do that for longer than like a month or two. Because, mm. yeah, it sounds cool to be nomadic, be traveling, seeing different places. But then after a month, I feel like I would want to just, I don't know, find my place, like grow some roots. Like, sure not be living out of a camper forever. You know, I know there's people that do that and travel the world and raise a family in a camper. But I don't think I could do that, but it, it would be cool to try out for a little bit and just, you know, see how, see how it goes. Well, the thing of it is, is that the technology is advanced even in the area of, you know, trailers and campers and all that yeah. stuff to such a degree. I mean, you, you, you see these like RV conversion things on like standard yep. vans that are like, it's like an apartment. <laughs> I know crazy. it really is with like the bathroom or shower. Totally. It's crazy what you can build it into. Yeah. yeah. I think and that's the thing, like finding mm -hmm. a technology that's easy to connect to um, wherever you are. Cause you know, sometimes you may want to go re more remote, but making sure you're able to still work and be connected is important. Have you ever done RVing? I haven't. Mm -mm. Well, but, see that, yeah. that would be a good like start. <laughs> you just go rent an RV for the weekend. You know what I mean? And just go yeah. drive it. Like, didn't you say you did that or you I did. tipped on Don Baja I or did. was it on a motorcycle? Yeah. No, I, well, I haven't gone to Baja in an RV, but I have done the Southwestern United States in an RV, like Nevada, oh. Arizona, oh, uh, wow. New Mexico, stuff like that. No, actually, I don't know if New Mexico was part of that one, but so I, I have done oh, that. Cool. Um, How long were you on the, in the RV for? Like a couple weeks. It's, it's, it's trippy though, because you're, if you're driving it, not everybody obviously wants to drive it, but if you're driving... And you look in the rear view mirror. This is something that caught me completely by surprise. You know, you look in the rear view and what mm -hmm. you're expecting to see is outside. But mm -hmm. when you look in the rear view of an RV, you see like a living room <laughs> and, pe <laughs> and people like sitting on a couch and like reading. Yeah. It's like it's so it's 
it's kind of a, yeah, it's trippy, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. It's, um, and you find these campgrounds and you can hook up your like electric and what's called like gray water and black water and all this stuff because you need, you know, good water coming in and the not so good water coming out. And so you learn how to do all these different connections, but there is a real, like a beautiful sense of adventure that's kind of built into that. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. And then Baja, which I know we talked about, which I'm a oh, huge fan of, um, yes. that I just did a year ago, actually this month, January of uh, 22, my wife and I did our 20th uh, wedding anniversary. Uh, we, you know, got a, a, a dual sport, basically like an adventure motorcycle. I ride motorcycles, wow. but I don't, I don't own an adventure motorcycle. Okay. So I rented one <clears throat> and we went from LA down to, uh, the Guadalupe Wine Valley and Ensenada, wow. Rosarito, uh-huh. all that stuff. I wanted to go f- like deeper into Baja, but um, we just she wanted to take it slower and explore things. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a compromise there. But Baja is just an amazing place. I love. Oh my Baja. gosh, it looks so majestic. Yes, I bet. And it, there's so many spots to explore, and and yeah, I can see why your wife probably wanted to kind of just explore and stay, and you know, take it all in. And you could always go back and go further south. Yeah, it's like it's basically. It reminds me a lot of California, but with 85% less people. Wow. That's what I hear, that it's very catered toward, like it's very different from mainland Mexico, and that it's very catered towards more of like the Canadian and American tourists because so many people from California come down to visit. There's a ton of so expats of too. Yeah, there's people like moving out, <clears throat> moving out of the U.S. and just kind of setting up shop down there. And obviously the economies of scale, if you're, Especially if you're getting paid in American dollars, I mean, you're going to be just yeah. styling down there. Do but you it's, think that? Mm-hmm. Well, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Do you think that? I wonder if that it'll eventually turn into sort of like the touristic boom and over exploitation that happened in Costa Rica. How so many people were also expatting there, and then all of a sudden became like, you, it's hard to find locals that own hotels yeah. that own restaurants because everybody's still been pushed out. It's the same thing that's happening right now in Hawaii, too. A buddy of mine was just talking to his friend in Hawaii, and uh, she told him that it's, you know, locals can barely afford to live on the island anymore. It's like all the property values have gotten driven up. So there is something corrosive about, you know, too much. I mean, look, you're a a kind of uh, ecologically minded person. So it's like any ecosystem, right? If you introduce... Mm -hmm you know, too many foreign, foreign species, like it's going to change. The ecosystem is going to change. Right. For sure. Yeah. It's got to be that balance. So, uh, you know, I touched on this, the fact that you are ecologically minded, but one of the reasons that I wanted you on the show is, and I I I talked to you a little bit about this in our kind of like our, our pre-call is, you know, I kind of think of your background and I'm like, wow, you know, this girl's kind of a unicorn, you know, and I love talking to unicorns, by the way. I have another a unicorn coming on the show in a few weeks, Roxy yeah, Beckles, okay. which it, if you don't know Roxy, you got to look her up. Oh, my gosh. I don't know her. Um, anyway, we'll talk about her later. But but um, <laughs> but but so because you are obviously you're a devout Christian, a devout Catholic, but mm-hmm. you're Latina, you're a millennial, you're a polyglot, right? You've got all these different languages that you speak. Um, you have a content and marketing background. You're kind of a convert in a way from your sort of professional background into trying to figure out where God was calling you to do more work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of all of that, you've been sort of educated in this kind of sustainability you know, universe, which you know, oftentimes is not populated with a lot of people of faith. So the combination of all of those things, I'm like, wow, 
I, mm-hmm. I need to talk to you because you probably have really interesting cocktail party conversations. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Deacon. They appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm still trying to navigate it myself. Re- having recently, you know, come back to the faith in a stronger way, I was sort of like blown away by how much I've missed out on and how much I still have to learn, you know, and figure out where my voice is in, in this place and time. How'd that happen for you? Was that gradual? Like, in other words, you're you're kind of living this thing, you're working at these, you know, environmental outfits and different things, and you're doing your thing, and I'm sure you're ascending in your career. And like, at what point does does that kind of reversion begin to take hold? Yeah, it, it was, I would say it, it was sort of gradual, but then at the same time, something very specific happened that sort of like terrified me and Mm. made me realize I was living two lives. And so basically, um, you know, I grew up Catholic. Um, My sisters and I went to public school, so we weren't really exposed to, you know, Catholic faith education in in a way that other people have growing up. Um, And I sort of just like, I don't know, fell more into culture and life in general growing up and had my faith sort of to the side and I would still go to mass and things. And I still believed in, in God and I would go to confession every now and then, but it wasn't, it was very much like a side thing. Like I was very much just two different people pretty much. And then, so as I went to college and fell more in love with the environment and with the ocean, specifically ocean conservation, really surrounding myself with a lot of um, those environmental circles. I still, I felt like this, there was something missing in my heart. And I felt like I was just like, kind of alone in the fact that I believed in God. It was just more of like a godless community that I was surrounded Mm. by. Um, And so I was like searching for community. And when I graduated from college um, and and for my master's, I actually went to get my master's in environmental management and sustainable development to really get more of a grasp on ecology and business in general. And so when I graduated, oh, actually that my master's had a, had a big part to play in that as well with my Catholic faith, because it was Mm. the first time that I had gotten, that I had been exposed to Catholic education, uh, going to St. Edward's University, which is the Holy Cross um, school. In Austin. In Austin. Yeah. And so it was beautiful um, for me to be able to, it was sort of like the seed was planted there that I could still live this like sustainable, regenerative lifestyle through the lens of the Catholic faith, because I was really involved with like students for sustainability there and doing like little films on like composting and gardens. And then at the same time I was going to their campus, you know, church and and mass and doing these like beautiful Lenten journeys. And it was just like a weave of like care for our earth, care for our home, our community of people too. And, and that's all, you know, something that we believe in, in our faith. And so that was like the first time that, that, that I kind of saw that through the lens. I want, I want to just pause one second and and kind of try to break this down a little bit because we glossed over a pretty important thing that, to be perfectly frank with you, I've never understood, okay? And that yeah. is, <laughs> you, we're like, you know, the environmental stuff and sustainability, and I'm not really hearing about my faith. Why is that? In other words, why is it that the, you know, predominance of people that might be involved in kind of modern sustainability, ecological, environmental care, pr- conservation, et cetera. Why, why is it that if you look at that group of people as like a food group, I always put things in food groups, right? Yeah. That food group tends to not be people of faith. What is that like really about? 
Like, right. let's like unpack that. W- what is that? Because, you know, on, on on some level, like we look at that now as Catholics, and I'm sure you do too. It's like, not only are they not incompatible, they actually are super complementary, and you could say fulfill one another. So it's right. like, makes total sense, but, right. but, it, but it's nevertheless not the case. W- what is that about? I think it has to do, well, for me specifically, because I was going through sort of like this existential crisis, you know, coming back home and my family would sort of label, and I don't want to, I don't like like labels as far as like liberal or non-liberal or like, you know, left, right. But just to, just to say it to like help categorize in my head what I was feeling, my, my family was sort of like labeling me as liberal. And I Mm kind of was like, I was Mm -hmm. just involved in certain circles that to me, I think that's, it's, it comes down to politics. To me, it's like the lifestyle that you live in, you want to foresee, and then the political parties that we see in today's world. Mm. And a lot of those parties, they, they don't, um, there's, there's like something missing. There's like, there's not unity there. And it's a lot of division. And so if you're, you know, wanting to see a more regenerative lifestyle, more sustainable community earth in general, a lot of the, uh, left leaning political parties are, you know, for cleaner energy or for certain, uh, agendas with women, especially feminism, that they tend to kind of go that route. Whereas, you know, the other side that is more conservative, that is maybe more Christian or, you know, right wing or whatever it might be. Um, so it, that was like a struggle that I was seeing. Like I, when I went to vote, I, I was always having this like crisis of like, well, yeah. I don't know how to vote because I'm Catholic, but I also want to vote for somebody that isn't going for oil and gas, you know, or like drilling across like indigenous lands. So it was really hard for me. It's not anymore because now I realize the, the importance, you know, and the severity of like you know, the, the beauty of the, the dignity of life and always vote for life. But it was, that's, I think where that major like break mm. is and not knowing, like not knowing where there, there may be like a unity or somebody in the middle that can say, well, I'm bringing in more conservative values and, you know, ideas, but also at the same time caring for our earth and for our home. The whole political thing is, is also really interesting in so far as, it depends on the time and the place what party or platform might most closely align with Catholic teaching, but they never really do a hundred percent. Right. Right. And, 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 and if they do, and, and even if they're close now, you know, fast forward a hundred years or go back a hundred years and that same party might've had, you know, on a percentage basis, more things that would be against, you know, Catholic social teaching. So it's always right. this like, balancing act, but I can see if somebody is really attracted to sustainability, conservation, love of the oceans, clean energy, you know, all things that, you know, from a Catholic standpoint are objective goods that you would say, well, this is kind of my passion thing. And I have to sort of take on these, like, they're like barnacles, right? So it's like, (laughs) I want to be in the ocean, but I got some barnacles that I have to take on just because I'm going to be in the water. And you kind of maybe think of them that way. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you're like way out to sea with that kind of thing. You know, yeah, with that, yeah, right. Every time I would come home, I hated my family calling me that. And I was like, well, why do I hate it so much? Because I, I basically am surrounded by that and I am living out my life like that. So I'd have to like ask myself, why is it that I'm so bothered by that? And yeah, it was sort of like a coming home to realizing, oh, okay, this is actually what's important. And there's, and, I, and, and maybe in a way I was like, 
putting nature and environment before God. And, you mm. know, that was just like a side thing. And, and yeah, so I think there's a, I think there's that, yeah, that just break where maybe somebody who grew up in, in the faith that is, is more passionate about the environment, not know how to sort of unite both worlds. But, you know, but God knows what he's doing. And I think it's actually really cool that you have that background and experience of interacting with a whole host of people, maybe even a movement <clears throat> of people who, you know, historically don't or haven't shared, you know, your beliefs, because I actually think that that's a great training ground and something we need a lot more of today, where I think it's much easier for people to be in their little kind of hermetically sealed universes, never interact with opposing perspectives. And when they do, right. it's like, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a crisis moment. Mm. So I think it's mm -hmm. good that you had that. Ex I had a similar experience coming up, frankly, in the entertainment industry. It's like the, oh, you know, not, and not the environment, but still it was like, yeah, 98% of the people that I spent my career with were, had a completely different worldview. Um, mm. But now I look back at those years and go, oh, well, that certainly helped me from a pastoral perspective. Wow. Yeah. And like you said, being exposed to a different group of people that didn't see, don't, don't see your same viewpoint, but that you, they see you still as credible because you have all this experience and you're in the industry and you are who you are. And so they, they, maybe it's like little seeds that are planted throughout your life for other yeah. people, you know, for, for other people as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's no coincidences. So you're there oh. and you're interacting with these folks and it's it's for some you know greater purpose. Now you, yeah. you said that it was both gradual and kind of there was a moment of inflection. And mm -hmm. I stopped you to kind of unpack this this dynamic about you know why are people not you know not faith aligned? <laughs> but what what was that sort of inflection moment? Yeah. So um, prior to that moment, I was living in Costa Rica and I was working with an environmental education organization. And again, I was searching for a community in the faith and people that had my similar values with the earth and the environment. And I, I wasn't finding that in the Catholic faith there. And I wasn't also finding it in culture, just mm. in general, secular communities. And so I sort of fell more into like the new age pagan spiritual practices. That's very big over there. Mm. And I was just, was like, so falling into it. And I remember um, one time I had a friend, it was my only Catholic friend. And he was like, I was telling him about, I don't know, a retreat I was about to go on or something that I was about to do. And he, I just remember this so like vividly in my head um, because it was like that first seed that was planted that maybe I was not doing what God was wanting me to do, was calling me to do. And so he was like, Christine, you're, it's like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what will stick. And yeah. you know, in your heart, not, none of that will ever stick. And the only thing that will forever stick is your faith, your one true faith. And he's like, you're Catholic before anything. Wow. And so that I didn't go on to like immediately renounce anything. I just was like, oh, maybe he has a point, you know, and I just continued to live my life. What kind and of new then, what kind of new age stuff? Yeah, I was really involved in like um like crystals and like um uh, just uh numerology and astrology and like Reiki even. I had even done Reiki too. Mm. And just I don't know, doorways that I was opening that were not good. I never did like tarot cards or the Ouija board or anything like that. But a lot of the people that I was surrounded by and that I, you know, hung out with were just, was that, yeah, just very spiritual. And they would say they're spiritual, not religious. But yep. in my head, I'm like, you, okay, if you're not worshiping God, then you're worshiping something else, whether that be the earth, your body, your children, you know, your career, whatever it is, you're, you're putting your, you're placing religion on that. And so to me, that phrase doesn't make sense. 
I've always it doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, <laughs> on closer examination, what I hear when I hear spiritual, not religious, is like <clears throat> something along the lines of <clears throat> sorry, something along the lines of I really like music, but I don't like instruments. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, well, there's a How does that work? <laughs> how does that how does that work? Right? right. Um whether it's voice or a trumpet or a saxophone or a keyboard or a piano, like you need something to make the music and you know, ultimately mm-hmm. religion is um really how we respond to God's call. That is, you know, all of the the rituals and ceremony and trappings and 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 all of those things, uh, the theology is our mm-hmm. our us trying to understand and respond to a God who is looking for us, right? But if mm-hmm. you, if all you have is the sort of the 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 kind of response, but there's no shape to it, there's no there's no vehicle for it, there's no community in it. There, you know, it's it's it, it's it's kind of empty. You know, yeah, um, it is. It's missing something. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to go back to what you said too before I go on about a God who's looking for us. I think that's the most beautiful way to put it because. I recently was listening to a podcast that the guy was talking about um, 10 things every child needs. And um, one of the things was, you know, that, that need of like somebody looking for you. And if you don't have parents that are present in your life that love you, then, you know, then where do you go? Because we we all as humans share that commonality that we're wanting somebody to look for us and care for us and love us. And that's Mm. God. And, you know, where I was searching on all these places Ultimately, I found it in Jesus that eternal happiness is actually in Christ because yeah. He's always looking for us. You know, He's thirsting for us. My brother, yeah. who is now a, uh, a Benedictine monk, uh, oh, wow. year, years and years ago, when he was on his, you know, journey, and he got into some of the same stuff you're talking about. Maybe not all the way to tarot and all that stuff, but he got more into Eastern things, you know, like mm-hmm. Buddhism and all that. But at one point, he start, he discovered the Christian mystics, right, and that kind of brought him back to the faith. But I remember he told me one line, and I'll probably get this wrong, but it was something along the lines of that which you are searching for is what is searching, (laughs) you know, is who is searching, basically. Like what you're looking for is who's looking for you, (laughs) you know? Um, And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That brings it around. When I first heard that, I was like, I couldn't make any sense of it at all. Like, I was like, that makes no sense. Sounds like a, like a haiku or something. Um, but but it's very true. It's true, right? Exactly. So, anyways, to go on, you had another question. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, it's your show. <laughs> so where was I? Okay, so yes, yeah, so I fell into those communities. Oh yeah, and so fast forward to 2020. This was around like 2018. I moved back to the U.S., started a business in copywriting, and I was like copywriting for like spiritual wellness brands, and I could just sense that like I don't know something wasn't sticking. My life was a mess. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, Fast forward to 2020, the pandemic happens. And we were going through some really, really, really difficult times in my family. Like Mm. really just awful communication issues, miscommunication, harmful things said and done to each other. And it was just a bad time and place for my family. And so I needed to kind of get away, get some, you know, space. And I went to Austin and where I had studied. And so I had have a community of friends there. And um, I ended up, I ended up dating a friend of mine, and um, he was my first Catholic boyfriend. Mm. 
And I was like, so and just enamored by it because I, my whole past has been dating atheist men and, um, just been struggling with that, like going to mass alone, figuring out my faith alone. Was that, was that, was that conscious or just happenstance? No, it just happened. It was just always somebody that I was attracted to not, you know, believing in God and, or, you know, a couple of them may have, but they were just agnostic and, you know, not, not following anything. Um, and this is the first time that I really felt like, oh, wow, this is a person my age, attractive. He's super, you know, he's devout. His family is, he's practicing. Um, it was attractive to me. Mm. And he had this calling, his like radical call to Christ was also super attractive because he so unique. Like he was, a, he's a musician and he's like, he feels called from God to help these like satanic, darker people in this, you know, rock and roll world that he's in to find God and to find Christ. And so mm. he's kind of like in this space. Like deliverance time, and stuff like that? Deliverance ministry? And- yeah, I guess. In yeah. a way, right. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so it was interesting to, I had never just experienced that. And also kind of scary because I'm like, you know, you're only human. You've got to be super careful with what you do, what you say, yeah. you know? Um, but through that relationship, um, we, so I get really close to his family and they're a beautiful family that, um, introduces me to the consecration to St. Joseph. And that was, I always say like through St. Joseph and Mary, like you go through, you get to so much closer to, to Christ, you know, through Jesus and through Joseph and Mary, because that, that to me was where I first, like that door was open where I could really see the beauty of this man that I was just like, how have I never known this, you know? Mm. And, and. And reflecting back on my time in college and the, you know, circles I was around that were very radical feminists that very much paint the picture of like, you know, this toxic patriarchy that yes, exists in the world, but that was it. You know, that was the narrative, toxic, patriarchy, bad. Uh, Instead, this to me, the consecration of St. Joseph helped me see what true patriarchy means and Mm. what a, a true, like, you know, the value of a man means and St. Joseph and how loyal and just and beautiful and loving and humble he was with Mary and with, and with God raising our, 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 you know, our, our divine King. And I just had never seen that. So I fell in love with this St. Joseph and I was like, where can I find my own St. Joseph? Then we did the consecration of the Virgin Mary. And that again, kept falling deeper in love with our, with my faith through that. Wow. Um, As you get closer to God, you know, you, Satan hates that. And yep. we started getting all these spiritual attacks. And, um, you know, also with my ex being close to these like darker energies, it was just kind of inevitable. And I experienced the devil three different times at, during my time in Austin. And the third time was like the most terrifying time. Really? What was, yeah. the, what was the first time? Well, the first time was... Um, I mean, I don't know if I want to go too into too no, much that, detail, that, but it had to that, like... That's okay. Do whatever you're comfortable with. I'm just curious. It had to do with an image of Christ that kept falling and mm. in a certain moment in time that he was, we were all together and there was music being played and a certain, all of it actually has to, well, some of it has to do with verbal, a lot of it has to do with verbal stuff, which is interesting because mm. words of affirmation is my love language. Mm. And so I can really pick up on that verbal energy. Um, just a person in his life that he was involved with and um, a certain kind of interaction relationship that was, you could tell was kind of off, you know, that happened in the moment where I'm talking about the rosary and praying. And then all of a sudden 
a flip was switched and it was like, it was really just off that, that person that was there and mm. picture of Christ kept falling. And wow. it, I don't know, may have not been anything, but I kind of, I don't know. I felt mm. like there was something there. Sounds fishy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fishy. I, I didn't. I didn't mention my brother is also an exorcist. So, so oh, I. He? So I. So I have like uh, his. You know, he's been teaching me and sharing with me a lot of the. You know, during the whole. Uh, you know, basically the assessment period, of a oh. particular case. Okay. All the kinds of things that happen on the periphery that could be indicators of demonic activity, right? And mm. and those kind of like lightning switches. Like where, you know, you're, you're talking to someone, everything's cool. Everything's like, you know, we're just having a, and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what just happened? Where did, where did this come from? This like, yeah. you know, that's this what sort it was of like, mm. yes, everything was cool. We were having fun. We we're about to have dinner together. And then all of a sudden the energy was just off and weird. And he had to go immediately and he felt, and we were like, well, why don't you just stay? And it was just weird, you know? Wow. And the second time was actually interesting too. I had this, have you ever had, um, like sleep paralysis. Oh yeah. Or, oh, you have. Oh, I have. Yeah. Uh, oh my brutal. Just, <laughs> brutal. It's scary. Yeah, super scary. No super way. Sp- for those of, for those who don't know what it is, tell them what it is. Well, so I guess it's a it's a, it's a moment in your time when you're sleeping where you're awake and you're conscious, but you can't move. You're like paralyzed, right? And some people, I don't know how it happens with you. But some people see things, and yeah. I just. I just felt something like I, yeah. I didn't see anything. It was just black void, but I, I knew that I was awake and I couldn't move. Like I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. For me, it was um, the latter category where I don't feel, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't like uh, see anything, but definitely felt something. And it's yeah. a, it's a sense of like, um, you know, vulnerability, but terror and, and just, you know, the lack of, it's, it's, it's like the abandonment of will, but in a bad way. It's like, mm-hmm. I want my body to respond and it's not, you're fully conscious. And it, of course it usually happens at night. So it's pitch black, your, mm-hmm. your eyes become immediately attuned to your surroundings. You know, you could, so it, it's a super, super weird you know, scary thing. And there are some cases, um, it, it's actually happened to my wife too, oh, but wow. where she was in the first category, which is seeing and literally feeling like physically feeling things on her body, you oh know? My gosh. Um, so, I would freak out. No way. Yeah. What, so what is your technique? If this happens to you often, it only happened to me once, but what do you do to get yourself out of it, snap mm, out of it? No, it definitely doesn't happen to me often. Okay. I mean, prayer, but like that, yes. that sort of like really crisis supplication that it's like just Jesus, like you just get one word, you can barely get a word out, you know, you're just <laughs> like, Jesus. So it's it's more like that. Um, and then eventually you wake up, obviously you're like, there's something happening at that moment with your whole parasympathetic. Uh, uh, what's it called? The sympathetic nervous system and all this other stuff or parasympathetic nervous system parasympathetic, where, where, yeah. where like it, it, then it clicks back in and you just take this deep breath in and you like realize, oh, okay, like I have now control of all of my faculties yes. and it's an instant relief. But the moments leading up to that are just terrifying. It was terrifying. Yeah. That, that's how it happened with me. And actually his, um, my ex's sister had told me that that happens to her often. And she told me to, if that ever happens, pray the Hail Mary. And I did in the moment I was like, okay, she told me, she told me to say this. She told me to pray this. And I remember praying it. 
And as soon as I did, it was crazy. Deacon Charlie, all of a sudden I felt this like whatever was on me, suffocating me, I felt it lift and like get off of me. Yeah. It was really weird how that yeah. power of prayer, well, not weird, obviously it works, but it was just crazy. I, I run into this stuff all the time. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. And if I did, it was very recently. So I apologize if I've already mentioned this, but it happened really <laughs> recently. So I could oh, have only no. talked about it in the last few weeks. I, I, I was ministering to a young family and, um, you know, we work with a lot of homeless uh, and, 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 and housing unstable families in LA. And a mm. lot of the, the male and they're not husbands in most cases, but the dads of the kids are wrapped up in a lot of gang stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and like serious gang stuff, right? Not like, uh, not like we're, you know, hanging out in high school. It's like, this is like, you know, MS-13 and there's a whole demonic element to that whole thing. That's, oh, another, wow. that's another show we can talk about. But yeah. at, one, at one point we're just ministering and talking to them. And he's like, yeah, I just, the other night I had this this thing that was choking me. And I was like, what, wait, mm. what, what? T like, slow down. He's like, yeah, I had this thing that was choking me on, in my bed, in my sleep. It was trying to kill me. And I was like, was it a dog? Was it a bear? <laughs> what thing? He's like, no, 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 it wasn't, you couldn't touch it, but it was trying to kill me. And then, you know, I talked to him and we talked some more. And then at, at one point he lifts up his pant leg because <gasps> we started talking about demonic stuff. He lifts up his pant leg and he's got a huge tattoo on like his leg from his knee all the way down to his foot of uh, Santa Muerte, right? Oh Which my is, gosh, and, of and, and I was oh, like, I was like, yeah, no. that might, that might have something to do with it, my friend. So let's talk <laughs> about that. And uh, so anyway, but, but like, I run into this kind of thing, um, maybe with more frequency than most. Oh, crazy. Oh my gosh. That's scary. Ugh. So yeah, yeah really I, I definitely felt suffocated too. But then that third time, um, was the most terrifying time. And that's when I, that was the moment, Deacon. That was when I was like, oh my gosh, I'm living two lies and I need to stop. So I, I don't want to go into too much detail either with this, but it basically had to do with us too. It was also crazy how spiritually aligned everything was. We were two days away from consecrating ourselves to the Virgin Mary. So one of the most important days for our lives at that, that time and um, in that year. And we were out, we we're doing with this family and also with my, the, who I was living with, a good friend of mine, who's a devout Muslim. She really wanted to learn more about Mary and just get closer with us. Two days before that, um, my ex comes over with somebody that he had recently convinced out of committing suicide. Mm. And they're in our home and just like, it was just the energy. It was just off. It was the verbal, yeah. a lot of verbal things were said and that I knew were not coming from them. And it was just really scary. It kind of felt like the next morning you, you know how that feeling of like, um, when you're in, when you're swimming in the ocean and you get a huge wave, like crash up onto you and you're tumbling all over the place, you hit the sand. That's kind of what it felt like. We were turned upside down. We didn't know what had happened. It mm. was, it was just scary. And mm. a lot of things were said and done that were awful. It's awful. Mm. And, and I remember it's crazy too, because I remember we were praying, my roommate and I, and he had left and then they had come back. And in the moment that they were gone, we were praying like, you know, God help us like, you know, help us figure out the clarity here. What, what do we do? How do we, how do we move forward? And, um, in that time that he came back, I remember him just like yelling, like, let's, we have to, uh, Christine, the flame of love, Christine, the flame of love. I don't know if you know that book, the flame of love. Mm -mm, I don't. It's by Christine Watkins. Oh, and wait a minute. Is that the, is that r related to the, the three days of darkness and all that stuff? She writes that, yeah. um, but that one is her, this flame of love book is more of like a, 
um, prayers to blind the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't read it, so I don't know where she where she has these prayers from, or you know who who's written them up or anything. But it's a, basically a book of that for that. And mm. I just thought it was so interesting. In the moment, I was like so angry and just so mad that I, I just kind of ignored that. And then the next one, I was like reflecting on how everything happened. Yeah, it was just very present and aware that there was bad energy there. You know, wow. there was evil energy. And, and I had this revelation in my mind that during that, all that happening, that I was living these two lives. I was, I say it's like the pierce was, the veil was pierced because I really did see beyond what was happening. And I was living this, my whole life, these like two different lives and parallel lives that I was going down the wrong path and I was leading a sinful life. And so that's the moment that I decided I need to turn this around. I need to be one person. I'm Catholic before anything. I vote Catholic. I'm you know, I want to use my business to advance the kingdom and, and to just share a Christ with, with people that don't know him or that have fallen away from him. Yeah, so live, that to living that integrated Catholic life and just being one integrated person instead of wearing all the different masks. I've been exactly. there big time. And of yeah. course, you know, these kind of um, episodes become more pronounced the more you are seeking you know, the fullness of, of what God called you to be. And particularly if you're involving other people, like, I mean, look, you, you, you save somebody from killing themselves. You're yeah. about to consecrate yourself to the blessed mother. The devil is pissed. Pissed. Yeah. Pissed. And then we've like, got this other Muslim, like also doing oh, yeah. oh, that's so Sorry. I forgot about the Muslim, the Muslim <laughs> yes. who, who, who are Muslim brothers and sisters have a, ton, they have Mary in, in their, in the Quran yes. big time. Right. So, right. but uh, yeah, that's, you're not making any friends. No, he was pissed. He was mad. And you could tell there was a tantrum being held in our home. Yeah. Trying to terrorize it. But then that was like his lies, you know, trying to manipulate and make you feel like you're less than, you're, wor- you're worthless, you're weak, yeah. you're ugly, mm. you're nothing. And then realizing, oh, wait, I know who that is. That's, he's very conniving. He knows mm. exactly how to try to weave himself in. But those are all lies, you know, and I know, I know who, who, who I am and whose I am. Wow. So you're... So you get rocked by this wave. You're like in this moment of upside down disorientation. You come to this realization. It's like, wait a minute, I've been living at least two different lives. I got to bring these things together. (laughs) And what's the first thing you do? So the first thing, oh, that was the miracle that comes out of all of this. Deacon Charlie. Tell me. The first thing I do is I I move back to Atlanta because I feel this call that my family's broken. We're going through this strife, this, all this strife and challenges. We, I moved back to Atlanta and we started doing family therapy together. Everybody is present. My dad, mm. who's a doctor, super crazy schedule. He's there. My sister's pr- almost, she's like, you know, about to pop with her third baby. She's there. My other sister, who's an ER vet, she's there. Like the, everybody's crazy schedules, but everybody's present and wants to do this, want mm. to come together. And really we put ourselves, you know, with Christ in the middle. And we come together in the most profound and beautiful way that I've never I can't say it's anything else but God and and St. Joseph that is a pillar of the Holy families. And it's just, it was, to me, it was eye-opening the the matter of like seeing everything that had unfolded and then the miracle that came out of it afterwards, you know, coming closer to God and putting him really at the center that that's, you know, the miracle that came out of that, having the family that was just all over the place and then coming together and saying, okay, we're, we're going to do this. You know, we can, we can overpower this. That's beautiful. You know, I, I, I really, I dig on like apologetics and evangelization, but I've never heard the apologetic of just the, the idea of Joseph and Mary, um, in a way it's so human. It's so logical. Like if you 
meet somebody new and you really like them or they're an important friend, if you have a distant or acrimonious relationship with mom and dad of that person, you're not going to experience the fullness of what that relationship could be. But if you try to draw closer to mom and dad of that particular person, to bet not only to understand who who they are, but it helps you better understand who your friend is, right? Mm -hmm. And like in just in regular life, that makes so much sense. Imagine it at the supernatural level, right? Of Mm -hmm. of of how Mary and Joseph as intercessors and all the saints, but specifically them as intercessors because of their proximity to Jesus, um, can help us understand more of who Jesus is. It's not just about like, oh, I know everything about Our Lady or I know everything about Joseph. It's like, that's cool. But also like, wow, look at all this other stuff I learned about Jesus and how much closer I am to him. Like I'd never heard that in that way. And Mm -hmm. it makes total sense. It does. Yeah. it, It made total sense to me too. And it made me honestly like just ashamed of myself that I hadn't known more to or cared to know more cared to understand more who saint joseph and mother mary was Mm. because of course they're his parents you know they raised him on this earthly level his you know his earthly parents and uh, yeah to me it was just like okay you can learn so much about their his life and who he was through them you know um they changed his nappies you know what i mean (laughs) so it's uh, there nobody you know they did the little thing with the spoon like you know it's coming in (laughs) open up yeah so that's uh pretty intimate they're probably going to know a lot about him yep exactly yeah that's super cool so So that was a huge miracle yeah Yeah. go ahead then the next thing that i did was um i was like immediately trying to figure out how do i serve catholic brands through writing And that was a little bit more of a challenge because I didn't know how to necessarily position myself being an environmentalist, but also being Catholic and serving, you know, the Catholic church. And so that's how I found the Sherwood fellows, Anthony Marcellino and they, I could really, you know, after studying their, their website a little bit, it was just like, oh, they're perfect. Like they're, you know, living this life in, in the church, but also I feel like they could tell more of like the, the style I was trying to go towards and that they could really help position me in my messaging. Uh, yeah. with, within marketing, with writing. They're both dear friends. Anthony's been on the show, uh, Lino, yet yet to be, but we'll get him on at some point. Um, nice. Yeah, super, super special people. Yeah, amazing people. Yes, yeah. and they really helped me figure out just my my place in like the creative world as well with what they started as Catholic creative. So I love the communities that they're building. And where, like, you know, you, you talked about trying to do what, some of the things that you do for Catholic brands. Did you ever think of like doing what you do in a Catholic way for everybody? What do you mean? Like the, well, uh, writing? Yeah. I mean, I think that there, cause in some cases that's sort of one of the dilemmas that I've run into. It's not even a dilemma, but it's just a question that I run into or I even get asked it in some, in some cases, which is, you know, are we being called to the push or the pull? Meaning yes. you, you, mm-hmm. you are a you know, copywriter, content creator, you know, marketer, all, environmentalist, like all these things. And you can bring all those gifts and tools and resources and experiences to an explicitly Catholic venue or avenue. Mm-hmm. Or you could do all of those things in a Catholic way, whatever that means, but right. make that available to Everybody, no matter who they are. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Now, clearly mm-hmm. that second one is harder <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> you're going to run into, you're going to need to be explaining things more more often. 
Um, but I, I'm just curious if that's like part of the calculus for you in yes. any way. Yeah, I like that you asked that actually, because it's um, very pertinent to the rebrand that I went through with them. And they, they were the ones who told me, you know, we don't think your target audience is Catholic brands. We think you should run with your background being an environmentalist, being in the ocean, being an explorer and run with that mm. and work and serve those, those communities and those people and do it in a way that you're living out your Catholic faith, sort of being like the pillar, you know, the light in those communities through my values of Christ and my joy and my playfulness and, and, you know, kind of, you know, work in that way. And I've been doing that. Um, and I'll be honest, it's been really hard for me to yeah. drop the Catholic messaging. No, <laughs> for sure. Because I just, for so long, I was two different people. And I'm, I'm so fearful that as soon as I start trying to be more spiritual, that I might come off as new age and I don't want that at all. So yeah. I've been trying to still figure, like navigate that. But yeah, I, I do. I think I am called, I think, like you said, just figuring out where you're being called. And I do feel like I'm being called to, to serve more environmental communities and those regenerative lifestyles that I'm, you know, so passionate about that do fall in line with our faith as well. Yeah, no question. I, um, I mean, I think that, you know, everything is seasons and everything is like a question of emphasis because I think both of the things, you know, doing great work for Catholics and Catholic entities will always be important, probably has always been important. But like what I feel is we're in a season now where we have to get, you know, into the fabric of this culture mm -hmm. and we have to do it in in some cases, using the kind of avenues and the openings, the apertures that we have available um, in order to bring like a Christian message into these different places. And so it's very tricky in the sense that you don't want to camouflage to a degree where you water down what it is you're doing. Right. But at the same time, everything is so addressable now where I can create my own reality just for myself. If we're not seeing all of those opportunities to sort of get into those spaces and places and industries and clients or whatever it may be to bring this message, they may never hear it. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's it, it, like both of them have always been important, but I feel like there's almost like an emphasis, at least in the U S you know, maybe other countries are different, but there's like an emphasis to, to my mind on like, how do we do more of that, you know, kind of let's develop a marketing campaign for you know, sneakers or cheese, I could care less, but do it in a way that is consonant with, you know, a Catholic teaching. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not exploitative, mm -hmm. uh, honest, um, optimistic, like all these different things, right? Even if that's not the fullness of the total message, but it's the beginning, the starting point of it, I feel that that's really important to do. I've been talking to a lot of guys. There's another guy, a friend of mine, Jacob King, who's going to be coming on the show. He mm -hmm. just launched an apostolate called Dropout, which is really cool. You should check it out if you don't know about cool. it. Um, yeah. And his story is wacky, but, but basically he calls it sort of pre-evangelization, right? This idea of like, he thinks as a marketer too, the funnel. And you've mm -hmm. got awareness and you've got consideration, intent, you know, all that stuff. Right. But like the layer above awareness, like that layer to like catch people and bring them mm. into the funnel. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and I, I love hearing that. My friend Jonathan Blevins too, the bearded Blevins, he's a big Twitch guy. Um, he also has a similar idea around pre-evangelization. Um, but I think that there's like some emphasis, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, but there's some emphasis on that because again, we're in such a one-to-one -one universe now and we're so, right. everything is so addressable. You can spend all day just, you know, 
being fed stuff you program to yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? So right. mm-hmm. it's like, how do we bust through if, 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 if what we're doing is only in, you know, some other like very Catholic sector, you know what I mean? We have to continue to do that stuff. We definitely do. But like, how do we do the other? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think it has uh, going back to getting outside of ourselves and finding people that can be in different spaces and be in different groups and be, just be able to be more fluid with yeah. the conversations because that's, I think one of our biggest problems is not knowing how to have a conversation, a candid and just respectful conversation with people that you don't agree with, you know, that you don't have the Huge. same values with, you don't, you don't have the same outlook in life with it's, it's such a big issue in our time that you're, this is why we're, we're, we're so siloed and we, why we only are following what we're following online or in our marketing or in conferences. Like we're not able to kind of see outside of ourselves. But that's, mm-hmm. that's a byproduct of this addressability that I'm talking about, which is like, you know, we, we build, we can build our own very little, you know, neat cocoon, like a little neat yeah. ecosystem. And so now when we come in contact with people that are outside of it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like a crisis. It's, it's challenging. Right. You know? Exactly. It is. It's yeah. And we're seeing it more and more. Yeah. Which US, is why in, all over. in a weird way, I mean, that's one of the reasons I dig on focus as an apostolate too, is because. You know, you, you send these missionaries out where, like, they send them to the campuses of, like, universities. Not like, you know, Steubenville, or, although I'm mm-hmm. sure they're there, too. But it's like, you know, the, you know Ohio State or wherever. It's like you yeah. kind of send them out into, like, into these, you know, sort of mission territories to engage and interact wow. with the culture in a, in a very, you know, kind of direct way. And there's, you know, other examples of that, I'm sure. But, but I think that that's something that— you know, increasingly we need to figure out, you know, more ways, more ways to do. Yeah. I was talking to a priest friend of mine here who was telling me about his recent mercy missions during Christmas. Mm -hmm. And he was saying the same thing about how you just go out and pray and ask people in the streets, wherever you are, if there's a prayer that, you know, that they want an intention. And he said that he went up to a man standing outside of a bar. He looked, you know, like somebody who for sure was just living his own life and culture, smoking a cigarette, doing, you know, his own thing. And, um, he asked him and he was like, wow, I haven't thought about prayer in a really long time. And Mm. when he was like, can I talk to you for a little bit? He was a priest, the guy, you know, who who asked him for the prayer was a priest. And so he asked him all these questions about the faith. And he said he had been falling away from the faith for a long time. So yeah, I think it, it, it's it's super important just to get out there in culture and in different spaces and be that pillar, you know, cause you never know who you're, who, who you might be moved by or who you might move. We got to take those chances. We got to yeah. take those chances. As scary and, as it might feel. Right? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Usually it means you're onto something if it's difficult, you know? Exactly. So, Cadiz, what's what's next for you? What what, what would you leave uh, our audience <laughs> with? How can they follow your travels? You're going to get, you're going to, you're going to do your whole van life thing. What are you going to do? A, <laughs> you going to do a travelogue? Can we see a documentary think. about it? <laughs> that would be really cool. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to write about it. So it's still sort of up in the air and, you know, not sure when I, when I'm going to start doing this, but it's, it's soon, you know, I got to figure that out soon, but yeah, I, I'm hoping to get a little camper, go out West, visit some, I have some like regenerative projects on the list that I want to visit farm like farms but also on in the ocean and then um and also want to visit the catholic community so if anybody's listening here is part of a cool you know conscious catholic community i really want to just get connected and be Mm. friends and figure out where that you know where that next stop might be and um yeah um you can follow my blog on christinemarielacayo.com on my website and on my newsletter as well i share a lot of content in there as well just marketing in general and 
encouraging people to sort of search outside of ourselves, something beyond. Mm. We'll include that information in the show notes. I signed up for your newsletter and been really liking the content. It's all really well done. It's very, very, very good. And I hope that other people get turned on to what you're doing. And by the way, congratulations, because you did something that I wanted to do, but never got around to doing, which is you recently (laughs) published a piece of content on like, you know, young Latino entrepreneurs that you need to know about. Oh yeah, Catholic entrepreneur. Yes, and okay. I was, and I was like, thank you. Somebody did this because, like, <laughs> it's like there's all these excellent people, and every time I, you know, I, I meet with a lot of the kind of more Midwest Catholic vibe, you know, they're always yeah. like, we need to get more, we need to understand more about this Latino stuff. And then I, you know, talk to my Latino friends, and they're like, I don't know how to get in there. And it's like, well, why don't you just meet each other? You know, so <laughs> so um, it was nice to actually see that list. Maybe we'll add a link to the show notes of that oh, article as I'm well. Glad that helped. Yeah. yeah, you need to be on that list. Well, there could always be another edition. I need to add you. Yes, you know, too. <laughs> there you go. No, but I appreciate you doing that, seriously, because um, I've been running a list myself on a Google Doc. Oh, like good. people that I think are really interesting and cool and devout yeah. and doing different things who are Hispanic. Um, yes. and And it's like, you know, my list tends to be sort of millennial and younger um, just because I want to kind of focus on those people. But um I was happy to see that you did you did that. So yeah, we'll we'll, we sh- we'll share it as well, um, and all the other thank information you. that you uh, that you shared. But but seriously, thank you for uh, spending some time with me coming on the show. Um, you know, count on our prayers for this next season that you're embarking on, um, and you. that uh, you know God <laughs> continues to flourish all the good stuff that you're that you're doing. Oh, same to you, Deacon Charlie. You're doing amazing work, especially within the multicultural community. Like again, representation, Latino community, and just being a deacon in, in your in your vocation and in your life is beautiful to see. You living in the world and in culture and still living out your faith. That's absolutely beautiful. It's a it's a privilege. <laughs> All right, Christine. So are you ready to play Wait What? I don't know if I'm ready, but let's <laughs> All right. let's see what you got. Here goes. We got a nice uh, a nice set of questions for you, my friend. So okay, question number one. Chris, you are a graduate <laughs> of St. Edwards University. We just talked about that in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So this one is designed specifically for you. Now, it turns out that at Hillfest, which as I understand it is a giant carnival at the start of the I guess the academic year or whatever, students can meet the goat mascot of St. Edwards. The goat, which is a female, actually lives on a farm nearby, and her name is Kelly. But Kelly, (laughs) as it turns out, is the great-granddaughter of the original goat mascot. What was the original goat mascot's name? Kelly's the name name of the current mascot. Daughter. Yeah, the current mascot is Kelly, but Kelly is the granddaughter of the original mascot. What's her name? Uh, Topper? No. No. Isn't Topper the the the, the Topper person the mascot. who Topper's like the human in the outfit, right? This is the actual oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. is the actual goat. The actual know. goat is Kelly, but Kelly's the great-granddaughter of the original goat mascot who has a name. I'll give you I'll give you a, a since you're multilingual, I will give you I'll give you a dead giveaway. Okay. <laughs> a dead giveaway hint, okay? She actually, the great-grandmother of this goat, has a Latin name. And it's the Latin word for peace. Oh. Um, the Latin name? The, 
Pax. That's right. Oh, interesting. Okay, yep. I didn't know that. Well, see, there you go. Wow. Trying to trying to teach you something about St. Edward's, you I know, love trivia. That. All right. <laughs> question. So that was question number one. Question number two, and this one's a true or false question. Okay, so among the great saints who had a special fondness or charism for the environment, mm-hmm. there are many. From St. Hildegard von Bingen to St. Kateri Tekakwitha to the great deacon, St. Francis of Assisi. But could he, 700 years before Francis, one lesser known saint who might make that list was St. Kevin of Glendalo, an Irish monk who lived in the 6th century. Kevin lived the life of a hermit with an extraordinary closeness to nature. His companions were the animals and the birds, and for seven years, he wore only animal skin for clothes and lived in a cave 30 feet above the water, sleeping only on a bed made of stones. Wow. Is that a true story of St. Kevin of Glendalo? Yes, true. And you would be correct. That is actually a true story. Wow. It was actually canonized by Pope Pius X and there's even a story, a legend of him holding out his hand in this kind of trans-like stillness when with with a blackbird lands on his hand and makes a nest and lays eggs and the whole time he's holding it like that, he's literally just oh watching it. Oh my God. It's a beautiful story. <gasps> it lays story. a nest in his hand. Yeah, wow. lays need, a nest in his hand. research the saint. St. Kevin of Glendalo. Apparently the community that uh, lives, it's a community of sisters that lives, this is in Ireland, that lives in the place where he lived is also is is now super. They follow like a Celtic spirituality, mm. and it's super okay. oriented to you know nature and the ocean and all that other kind of stuff. So you should definitely check them out. Saint wow. Kevin of Glendalo is his Glendalo. name. Glendalo. All right, you're doing good. Batting five hundred. Nice job. <laughs> all right. So final question. Final question, Chris. And okay. there's always a time machine question. So here it goes. Time machine. Now for you, it's a, it's a special one. You can travel to any place at any time, past or future. But here's the catch. When mm-hmm. you get there, you must speak for the rest of your life only in the language of that particular place at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Where and when do you go? Oh, that's a good question. I love that. Because <laughs> um, we didn't talk about this, but you, you speak a handful of languages, I think, right? French, Italian, Spanish, um, English, obviously. So, Yes. I think I would go to... Um, so where do I go and when? You where said? and when. And you can only speak that language in that particular way. So if you go back to like, you know, 1940 Wisconsin, you're going to be talking like this, kid, you know, for like, so you can only talk that language and in that way, given the time period for the rest (laughs) of your life. Where is it? I think I would go back to, I would think I would go to France. I love speaking French. And I would go, and I would go during the time of the French Revolution, as crazy as that sounds. But I think that it's super cool to hear about like, um, St. Joan of Arc's like mission to like, you know, bring the faith back in like the revival of the faith during this time. And also just like going to St. Edward's and hearing more about the history there with Holy Mm. Cross, like the people falling away from the faith, priests being exiled and killed and like no education anywhere. There's a whole generation of children without education and or faith formation. So being sort of like that spear forward of like, 
bringing Christ back into these communities that have been fallen away or that, you know, have been exiled from the faith and speaking in French. <laughs> nice. So is that 17th century, 18th century? 1700s. Se- se- yeah. yeah, 1700s. Okay. So that, that France in the 1700s, that works for me. That's great. <laughs> I only know, the only thing in French I know how to say is, je ne comprends pas la réponse à la question numéro deux. Oh, wow. That's all That's I know how to say. Bien <laughs> yeah. I doubt it, but I appreciate it. Thank you. And why Why specifically? I have no idea. Number I learned, two. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the answer to question number two. I have yeah. no I have no That's idea. Hilarious. You know, I have no idea. This is some, a little a little barnacle I picked up at some point, but uh, that's 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 all that I know. I um, besides, where's the bathroom and yes and no and all that easy stuff. But yeah. um, very cool. Well, Kadis, great to have you on the show again. Uh, God bless you and your work and stop by God anytime. God bless you too, Deacon Charlie. Yes, I'd love to come out and visit sometime while I'm out there out west. So very cool. To be determined. I'll let we, you know. We're here for as long as the good Lord has us. So, uh, oh, you know, aren't you coming to Atlanta soon? Um, yeah, I was just in Atlanta uh, oh, last. Hey, you were. Yeah, I was in Atlanta last month for just for like the day. Um, now my next trip is to my next big trip is to Ohio to Columbus. I have a men's conference out there. I saw you were going. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. And then I've got Amazing. something in Louisville. Then I, and I'm I'm obviously traveling for business too. But I'll well I'm sure we'll intercept at some point. Yes, perfect. Cool. Well, thanks Thank for coming by. Thank you so by. much, Deacon Charlie. Safe travels and God bless you as well. Ditto. And if you're listening to our voices, that means it is time to subscribe to this show. Actually, don't subscribe, follow, because subscribing means something different now in podcast world. But follow this show, share these episodes with people that you care about, and we'll be pleased and privileged to see you again next time on Living the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.